want to again greet all of you in the precious name of Jesus and just say it's so good to be here with you again this evening. And I uh, trust you've had a good day. I hope you've had a good day. Um, it's been a good day for me, except I'm really missing my uh, companion, my wife. And so hopefully tomorrow evening she'll be able to, to join me. Keep thy heart above all keeping, for out of it are the issues of life. I shared that verse last evening, and we asked the question, what would it take to turn your heart? What would keep you from having your heart turned? God wants to turn our hearts towards him, first of all, towards our families, towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, tonight we are going to be looking at Psalms chapter 36. You can turn to that. But as we begin our service this evening, again, I'd like us to, as a prayer song, just sing, Come Gracious Spirit, Heavenly Dove. Because unless the Holy Spirit is present to minister to each of our hearts. Our time here is in vain. So tonight we'll sing the first two verses of that hymn. Come gracious spirit, heavenly dove, with light and comfort from above. Be sang the song, and I thought of these words, prone, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And the message tonight is not one that's really easy for me to bring to you. Uh, I've entitled it, The Downward Spiral of Sin. Uh, 
Now, the reason I would say it's not easy for me to share this with you, because I don't know if you think about pastors being above temptation or somehow being immune from the struggles of life, but I would have you know that as pastors, we are flesh and we face temptations just like anyone else does. There's no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man, God is faithful. So we want to talk about the downward spiral of sin. And the best analogy I can give to you tonight is the old corn wagons when I was growing up. We lived on a farm and we would put grain and we would put corn in these wagons. And if you remember how those wagons were formed, they kind of had a funnel effect where it goes to a door and that door would take the grain out to an auger to where you were putting it in a grain bin or whatever. And you know, as a boy growing up, I could still feel that imperceptible and yet constant pressure downward as the grain is moving out that door. And you didn't want to get your feet down at the bottom. You, you worked hard to stay on top of that pile of corn or that pile of grain as it was being unloaded from that corn wagon. There was a young man that stood outside my door one evening in tears. And he said to me, he said, Brother Dave, and he was a relative of mine, he said, I cannot believe that I've allowed myself to get to where I am today. And I asked the question tonight, how do people get to where they don't want to get? How do people end up at a place where they're at the bottom of the wagon, as it were. So tonight in Psalms chapter 36, and we're also going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 5, we want to look at three disturbing attitudes towards sin. Three attitudes towards sin which will take you the wrong direction. And then we want to look at three destructive characteristics of sin. And then last of all, we'll look at the devastating consequences that sin has. So in Psalms chapter 36, let me read. Uh, says this, the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief on his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. The first attitude that I see in this passage of scripture, a disturbing attitude towards sin, is that there's no fear of God. No fear of God. It's a lack or a failure to respect and reverence God's holy character. Do you know something tonight, people? 
We will do things in front of God that we would never do in front of people. What does that say about our understanding of who God is and his holy character? No fear of God. It's a dismissal of God's all-seeing eye. We forget that God is always there. You cannot get away. Psalms 139 says you cannot get away from the presence of God. And so I'm always in the presence of God in whatever situation I find myself. And yet I find that sometimes I'm more concerned about what people think of me than what God thinks of me. So you have no fear of God. It's a casual ignoring of the law of sowing and reaping. And the word fear there has the idea of a sudden alarm. You know what it's like to get caught when you're doing something you shouldn't do? You think you're all alone, and all of a sudden you realize, uh-oh. Now at home, I'm the cookie monster. That's what Ellie calls me. She's not here to defend, but she makes good chocolate chip cookies, and guess what? Brother Dave knows where those things go. But there's a little problem. Our freezer door squeaks. <laughs> but you know what it's like when you're doing something? And all of a sudden, you didn't realize anyone was there, and there they are. And you're like, there's this sudden fear. It's a little bit like at Rosedale, 2.30 in the morning. I'm sleeping in my deepest sleep, and the fire alarm goes off. I'll never forget that. It was horrible. You hear this racket, and you're supposed to move and get out of the building immediately, and you can hardly get yourself awake. But this is a, it's a fear that recognizes that action is needed in a person's life. When men lose their fear of God, are you listening? They are capable of almost the most vile depravity. When men lose their fear of God, and we live in a day, trust me, we live in a day when people do not fear God. Certainly not like they should. But God has not changed. God hates sin and he hates evil. And God is sad when we give in to the flesh and into evil. The second disturbing attitude in this passage is there's no pricking of the conscience. You ever thank God for your conscience? Do you realize that there are voices that entreat you? One of the voices that God uses to entreat us is our conscience. A conscience that is clear, a conscience that is pure, a conscience that is trained by the word of God is a gift from God. It says here, he flattereth himself. What's that mean? He flattereth himself in his own eyes. The word flattereth in the Hebrew means to Listen, it means to smooth out as you would smooth out a stone. It's to wear off the corners of your conscience. It's to lose a sensitivity to what is truly evil. It's to lose that sensitivity. And it's a conscience that's defiled by sin. No wonder Paul said, I kind of look at this for young people. It's like two levers. Paul said, Holding faith, okay, 
holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put aside, have made shipwreck of who is Hymenaeus and Alexander. Listen, a conscience is a gift from God because the conscience warns you. This comes to me right now. I was a minister. I was getting pulled as a young father into sports. I love basketball growing up. I still like basketball a lot. And in Canada, it was hockey. We had a stereo in our house and we had earphones. And I found myself before bedtime listening to games after Ellie went to bed. And you know what? It's not that that's wrong, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Dave, Dave, is this really what you want to do? Is this, is this the direction you want to go? And you know, I ignored it. And I got pulled into more and more. And so at night when I should have been in bed with my wife, sometimes I was out there with my earphones on. And then the ultimate happened, Super Bowl Sunday. It snowed and church was canceled. And I felt a lurch in my spirit. <laughs> this is bad. My wife was thinking a good family night. And I was thinking, yes, a good family night. But so that night, Sunday night, we were there as a family. And then I would go over to the stereo, put my earphones on, put them off again, come. I was, but it's such a, you know how it is. And all of a sudden, my oldest son looked at me and he said, Dad, what are you doing? And you know it was his words that riveted the Holy Spirit's conviction on my heart. You know what I did? I, I went into that radio, into that, and I changed the, the thing that controls it. I put it to a Christian station so that I couldn't change it unless I... And I quit buying newspapers because in the newspapers I could see who was playing when and all of that. Some of the guys said, well, Dave, are you saying we shouldn't buy news? No, I'm <laughs> What I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit touches parts of our lives and he is faithful through our conscience to help us understand that we need to deal with temptation that comes to us. That's the point. No pricking of the conscience. You know, the enticing pleasure of an illicit activity tends to blind a person to the horrible consequences. How true that is. Unchecked, it will cause a person to justify and defend what he or she habitually practices, even though they know it's clearly wrong. Have you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about. Note this word. This is a word. Until. Until. Un, there's always an until. You got to remember this, people. There's always an until. Until the activity is discovered to be hateful and destructive.
That word hateful has the idea to be found or to come forth. What's in the heart will one day come forth. What is done in secret will one day be revealed. That first act of rebellion or disobedience seems insignificant until we find ourselves out of sync, out of relationship with God, with family, and with our brothers and sisters. That first twinge of resentment and hurt towards a brother or sister seems justified until we find ourselves bound up with cords of bitterness, loneliness, a chip on the shoulder. That first indulgence in pornography or in illicit movies and so forth may seem innocent enough until its hold and grip on a person becomes so strong that it's impossible, almost impossible, to get rid of it. Seventh grade boy was struggling in his schoolwork. I shared this today somewhere. I was doing one-on-ones with him. I noticed his grades were suffering, and I noticed that things were not the way they should be. And so I said, what's happening? in your life. It took him a bit for him to admit. This is what he said. He said, Brother Dave, I am addicted to violent video games. And I remember looking at him. He was such a good student. And I said to him, well, you have a choice. What are you going to do about it? A month or so later, he came back to me when I met with him. He said, well, Brother Dave, I've made up my mind. I said, what's your decision? He said, I've gotten rid of all of them. And you know what? That guy has never looked back. He's one of our ministers today. I've been amazed. The the little children tonight, we're talking about choosing rather. See, we have choices. God has given us the freedom of choice. My dad used to tell me, he'd say, I would struggle with things. He'd say, well, Dave, just say no. Or another one, just quit doing it. Well, I often wish it would be as simple as that, right? You wish it would just, I I wish that God would just push a button, right? He would just change me. You know, he, he could do that. He could just make me the kind of person. But God doesn't want a robot. He wants someone who voluntarily chooses, rather, chooses what's right. I remember the first day I was introduced to pornography. I was a high school student on my way to school. Some guys knew that I was a Christian. Back in our day, it was all magazines, but these guys knew I was a Christian, and they were several seats in front of me, and they said, hey, Dave, what do you think of this? And they held up pictures. Let me just say that Satan knows how to bring temptation He's a master at it, and he knows how to get people to stumble and fall, and you have to be able to make choices. 
So the point is this, the old house built on the sand will someday come crashing down. The true nature and character of our sin will eventually be discovered for what it really is. Jonathan Edwards said this, a person finds out by experience that it is a more dreadful thing to sin against God than he had imagined. And in the words of the song that all of us know, sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will cost you much more than you want to pay. Sometimes as a family, we'd be together and I'd see tears running down my dad's face as we were together. And he would say to us, children, you have to understand something. The joy and blessing we experience today is simply the marvelous grace of God. Because my dad knew what it was like to get to a place where he knew what he should do, but he didn't have the power to do it. And he prayed and said, God, somehow you're going to have to change my heart to give me the power to do what I know I should do. The third disturbing attitude is there was no hatred of evil in verse 4. He abhorreth not. You know what the word abhorreth mean? It means to cast it off, to despise it, or to loathe it. So instead of hating evil, we are attracted to it. Then we tend to hide it. And then we devise ways. It says he developed, he deviseth mischief on his bed. By the way, don't put yourself in a situation where you'll know you'll be tempted. That's not smart. Do you know that? Reminds me of when I was in a bookstore as a young man, and I went in there innocently. I was not intending on indulging in any evil, but as I was in there, I was attracted to things that were not right. And afterwards, feeling bad, I said, you know what? I made a decision that day that I'm not going into a bookstore. Now, I can go into a bookstore today, but you got to do what you got to do to avoid putting yourself in temptation's path. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. My fellow pastor, his family separated when he was 13 years old. I remember one day I was preaching on divorce and he was one of the first ones at the back door to meet me and there were tears in his eyes and he looked at me and he said, Brother Dave, I still feel the pain. His lifelong desire was to get his mom and dad back together, but he told me something. When his father passed away, he said, everything predicted in the book of Proverbs in regard to immorality happened to my dad. And when his dad died, there was only enough money left to have one meal together as a family. Proverbs chapter 5. My son, attend. I love, by the way, let me put in a plug. <laughs> you live in Pennsylvania. How many of you have been to Hers Potato Chip Factory? Anyone? We took our students, and to my amazement, they had these little chips of wisdom that they handed out and it's in the living it's kind of a living translation and i started using it at school and it just affected me to the point that today in my daily devotions 
I have one of those. It's all marked up. And young people, if you want to help yourselves, read one chapter a day. There's 30, 30 or 31 days in the month. You can read a chapter a day, and it'll take you through the month. Powerful stuff if you pay attention. It will protect you from so much heartache and pain. So notice what it says. Verse 2, that thou mayest regard discretion and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For, get this, and it uses the illustration of a woman, a strange woman, but I'm using it tonight as an illustration of the nature of sin and what it does to us. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of her feet. Her ways are movable. Thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her. Come not nigh the door of her house, lest you give your honor unto others and your years, your years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at last when thy body and thy flesh are consumed. And you say, How have I hated instructed and my instruction and my heart despised reproof? Wow. Three destructive characteristics of sin that I find in this passage. The first one is this. Sin is seductive. Trust me. Sin is seductive. It's appealing. It's tempting. It's something that seems to be good for us. The Bible says the end thereof is the ways of death. What seems right, the end thereof are the ways of death. Notice the description. The word profane means one who is turned aside. It's dripping with honey, enticingly sweet, tempting, appealing. It's smoother than oil. Sin can easily be rationalized as being fulfilling and desirable, but when you get to the bottom of the wagon, trust me, it's as bitter as wormwood. It's as sharp as a two-edged sword. And it has steps that lead to hell. Wow. It makes me angry. From my own life and from what I see sin doing to so many people. It makes me angry. I look forward to the day when we'll be in heaven. You realize... <laughs> There will not be one temptation to do evil. Won't that be neat? Won't that be so glorious? You won't be tempted to do wrong in heaven. What a tremendous thing to look forward to. The second destructive characteristic, not only is sin de de seductive, 
But guess what? Sin has movable ways. Sure it does. It doesn't stop where you think it'll stop. It says, lest you should ponder. That word ponder means unless you should consider and think about where you're headed and be able to make good judgments, it moves on you and you cannot realize or you don't realize what it's doing to you. Now maybe you have said this. I used to have these things where I said, well, by the time I'm 25, by the time I'm 50, <laughs> well, now I'm 67. Certainly thought by the time 67, we would have this all taken care of, right? Wouldn't be facing this struggle. Guess what? Sin can tempt anyone. By the way, all you have to do is consider what's happening in our culture today, and you will realize that sin really knows no boundaries. Satan doesn't care who you are. He wants you to stumble and fall. Whether you're a young person, whether you're a middle-aged person, whether you're a pastor, sin is always moving, and we need to be aware of that. Perhaps you have said, I'll stop here, I'll never do that, only to discover that sin has no stopping place. It's like, it's like the grain in the wagon. It gradually but surely moves you towards the bottom. So what's the answer? And I like this. It says, remove your way far from her door. <laughs> remove your way far from her door. Don't go near her. Let me say tonight, particularly to you young people sitting here, and I love young people, but let me say, your parents, you know what? They can't protect you. They can't protect you from all of the determination of Satan. But you know what will protect you? If you set boundaries in your heart. If you set, make decisions in your heart. The third thing you notice that sin has cords that bind. It's addictive. That's what it means. Came home from school one day. I was out hanging up wash minding my own business, and I heard my brother yelling, and I thought he said the pigs were out. But what really was going on, we had a custom, uh, a person who did custom corn picking, and he was picking the corn behind the barn, and what had happened was his tractor started on fire, and he thought he shut it off, it was one of those mounted corn pickers, and in getting off the front of getting off the tractor, he got caught one leg in those prongs, and it pulled both legs into those rollers up to his knees, and there he was burning. I went running back through the cornfield. When I got to the back, I heard this, and this man was not a Christian, and we kind of liked him, us boys. We were living there on the farm, but he. Um, he would often make jokes, but I'll tell you that day, you know what he was doing? He was calling out to God. And my dad and our landlord got the fire out. It took, it took an hour and a half.
for him to get out of the corn picker, and he was conscious the whole time. He lost both legs above his knees. Uh, sin has cords. You know what I remember about that? Now that, my brother wanted to be there, but I didn't want no parts of it. I couldn't eat that night. I just remember the scurrying and hurrying and bustling around of people trying to save that man. It was frantic activity. Our landlord took his farm all tractor with the, with the uh, mower on it. They were trying to pull those, pull those apart. Someone was running with jacks just to rescue this man from the cords that were binding him. Yeah, sin has cords that bind. You know what? You could put cigarettes in front of me all day and it would not tempt me. You could put alcohol in front of me and ask me to drink and it would not tempt me. You know why? Because I've never indulged. But I can't say that about everything. You know what I'm saying? There are some things that have pool in my life. So in conclusion, what are the devastating consequences? Well, there's a whole mess of them listed. A loss of honor, a wasted life, the loss of wealth, the loss of health, a life of regret, the loss of freedom, and the loss of life. It's a challenge. And I'm not standing up here telling you that this is easy or something that is simple to be able to rise above. But I think all of us know how that Satan, little by little, tries to take us down a road. But at some point, if you're a Christian, at some point with your Christian, you can trust the Holy Spirit to prod your conscience and to say, is this really the direction you want to go? And I pray to God that we're able in those moments to make decisions to choose rather. So where are you at in the wagon? I can still feel that. You know what I mean? How many of you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Man, you did not want to get in that auger at the bottom. And sometimes I'd slide down pretty close and boy, you'd be scrambling to get away from that pool that was pulling you where you didn't want to go. And you know what I believe in my heart? I really believe that even in unbelievers, there's a hunger and a desire for wholeness of life, and yet the enemy always is putting roadblocks and putting things in front of us to take us away from the God that we love. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to and I've asked myself, Dave, all that you know about salvation, all that you know about what Christ's done, 
Why, does the, why do those things pull me? You think in my right mind that you would say, I'm not having no parts of that stuff. But somehow, Satan has a way of making it look appealing to us. I close with Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth, hideth, concealeth, keepeth secret his sins shall not prosper. That means shall not push forward, break free of them, or go over them. But whoso confesses, and I like this, Johnny, what's in your hand? Johnny's got a cookie in there. He's not going to let you see it. Maybe tonight after church there'll be Kit Kats in there, but what's in your hand? You know what confession is? It's to hold out the hand. It's to hold out the hand. Whoso confesses, holdeth out his hands, and forsaketh, lets go of, shall have mercy. And that word has the idea of God's embrace. He fondles and cares for us. What a blessing that is to experience the freedom that comes from a clear conscience and a relationship with our dear Lord. And you know what really aggravates me tonight, people, is that God, God is a good God. God loves us more than we'll ever realize. And God wants what's best for us. Satan tries to make you think that God's against you or that he has it in for you. But he's the one that is against us and has it in for us. And why would we not want to be in harmony with our loving creator, our heavenly father, the one who died for each of us and gave his life so that we can have eternal life with him. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, there's so much that you have given to us to encourage us and to help us. And tonight I pray that each of us in our hearts would be able to respond to your call, your desire for us. I just pray that you would bless each one here tonight. You know the needs of our hearts. You know our desires. And I pray that you would be able to minister your grace in ways that would lead us in choosing rather, in leading us to walk faithfully with you and to resist the temptations that Satan brings in front of us. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to have a stand together. And I'm simply going, and we'll sing, we're going to sing a verse of invitation. And I'm just simply going to say, if God has been speaking to your heart tonight and you have a desire to make commitment, I would just like to ask you to raise your hand and then we'll have a prayer in closing. So let's stand together.